This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking to Ryan Gottfriedson. He's a cutting-edge leadership development author, researcher, and consultant. Ryan is the Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author of Success Mindsets, the key to unlocking greater success in your life, work, and leadership. And he's the author of the recently published book, The Elevated Leader, Leveling Up Your Leadership Through Vertical Development. In this episode, we'll be talking about vertical development, what it is, and how organizations can help vertically develop their leaders primarily through a focus on mindsets. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the founder of More Than Engineering, and I'm the creator of the Engineering Career Accelerator Program, helping engineers and technology professionals with leadership and career coaching to create meaningful careers and lives. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, Brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump into the main segment of the episode. I'm so grateful to have Ryan Gottfriedson with me. Ryan, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Hey, it's an honor to be here and always great chatting with you, Jeff. Ryan, we've talked a few times, but I'd love the audience to get to know you. So can you share in your own words a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and, and what your career journey has been thus far? Yeah, so I'm a leadership professor at Cal State Fullerton. And if you don't know Cal State Fullerton, that's okay. I didn't even before I applied. Um, <laughs> but we actually have the second largest business school in the United States. Um, so I teach leadership at the business school, and I do research in that space. And one of the things that kind of got me where I'm at and even segueing into our conversations that we're going to have is I did my PhD at Indiana University in organizational behavior and human resources. And my dissertation was on leadership. And what I learned from that is that most research and thought leadership in leadership primarily focuses on answering one question, which is what do leaders need to do to be effective? And while I think it's a good question, it's led to some good answers. To me, it's never really sat very well because I think that leadership is not about just doing the right things. It's about being a certain type of person, being somebody that others want to follow. And so in my research uh, over the last 10 years, I've been focusing on how do we tap into the being element of leadership? And then I, I've started my own consulting company, written a couple of books, all focused on how do we become more effective leaders in our spheres of influence. Okay, well, I want to dive in and talk about some of these things. This is something that is important to me, also doing leadership and career development uh, for engineering and technology professionals. And I actually uh, have used some of your work and, and some of the, the recommendations you've given over the years and, and have uh, appreciated that and, and pointed people to some of these things. So I want to talk first about your first book, 
success mindsets, your keys to unlocking greater success in your life, work, and leadership. So can you briefly explain, Ryan, about why mindsets are so important and, and how they dictate success in the various areas of our lives? Mindsets uh, are something that both psychologists and neurologists have identified as being the most foundational aspect for why we do what we do. So we've got in our mind, um, and this is the term that psychologists commonly use, we've got an encoding process. So in every situation that we are in, our mind automatically and non-consciously encodes that. So what that means is that we can see something and our mind interprets it in a certain way. And how we interpret it then goes on to shape how we think, how we learn, and how we behave. So just let me give you a, a quick example of this. Is uh, And maybe even let me ask you, Jeff, how would you say most people respond to constructive criticism? Yeah, I'd say there's a range, right? But if we're talking yeah. most probably a lot of people get pretty defensive when there's any sort of criticism that comes at them. They, they feel like it, it might be an attack on them. And so they, they start to kind of defend themselves and try and protect themselves against that, that seeming attack. That may be one response. Yeah, no, you're spot on, right? So we surely know people who, who do that. And that occurs in our mind automatically and non-consciously. This interpretation that this is an attack. Like, and even, and we've probably all been there and we feel it in our body, right? And so we kind of put up our emotional shields and as a way to protect ourselves. But when we do that, we could then ask ourselves, am I thinking about constructive criticism very positively? Well, no. Am I going to learn from it? No. How am I going to behave? Well, I'm going to be defensive, dismissive, right? But Maybe there's somebody else who can see constructive criticism and they encode it as this is something that can help me get better. And when we encode it in that way, what I hope that even listeners are stepping into is part of this is, is a difference in our window of tolerance for these things. Like we're creating greater space for something that feels may feel initially uncomfortable. And when we see constructive criticism as an opportunity to learn and grow, we'll think about it positively. We will learn from it more effectively, and then we will hopefully change some of our behaviors so that we can be more effective. And so just how we see the world shapes how we think, how we learn, and how we behave. And again, mindsets then are the most foundational aspect for why we do what we do. And to me, it's unfortunate that I think we don't talk about them enough, and we don't engage in enough effort to try to awaken to the quality of our mindsets. And so my book, Success Mindsets, was all about, okay, what are mindsets? What mindsets are out there? And what are the quality of my mindsets so that I can see where I'm at and where I can improve in terms of improving these non-conscious automatic processing? Yeah. So, I mean, we could go a lot deeper here, Ryan, because we're talking about, okay, I might encode this in a way in with if someone's giving me constructive criticism, but let's say you're working with someone, say you're working with me, and, and right now that's how I'm reacting. And I recognize maybe in my rational brain, okay, I would like to improve how I approach constructive criticism, right? So I see that right now that may not be the, the best way. I recognize I want to improve, but how do I actually move from this idea that I want to change my natural way of encoding an experience like that to actually that becoming the natural way 
that I do. And, and so moving from just this idea of prescribing the doing to becoming that person, what's that process like? There's several different avenues that we could go down, but I think the just as a basic understanding, what we need to recognize is that our mindsets are neuro connections in our brain. A lot of people talk about mindsets as just being our attitude towards something. And I just think that's a, just shallow. It's a shallow understanding. Our sure. mindsets are literally neural connections in our brain. And I imagine that many people who are listening to this have probably heard about fixed and growth mindsets. Those are the most commonly talked about, I would say. Sure. And all of us in our mind, we have a fixed mindset neural connection and we have a growth mindset neural connection. Now, we probably have one of these two mindsets is stronger than the other. And what that means is when one mindset is stronger than the other, then that's the default mode in which we process information. That doesn't mean that we can't turn on the other mindsets. We just got to be really intentional about doing so. And so when we understand that our mindsets are neural connections, and when we understand that neural connections are a lot like muscles, the more we use them, the stronger they become. Then now we've got some clarity on what do we need to do to improve our mindsets? Well, if I'm looking at fixed and growth mindsets, I right now have more of a fixed mindset. I want to develop more of a growth mindset. Then that means I need to hit the gym for my mind. I need to exercise my growth mindset neural connections on a regular basis, but it's, it doesn't have to be like overly significant. I mean, what research finds is that if you spend about five minutes a day working on exercising a growth mindset neural connection, in the course of about a month, we're going to see really significant shifts in how we think, how we learn, and how we behave. I heard this saying, like uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. So it's like this is practice, and, and we're actually building those, those neural wirings to create, maybe move from a small pathway to a larger, maybe, maybe super highway in our minds for that yep. new mindset, right? Spot on. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So I want to move on to, you've got a new book, but it's called The Elevated Leader, Leveling Up Your Leadership Through Vertical Development. So I want to talk about this idea of vertical development. What is vertical development and, and why would it be important for the engineers or engineering leaders who are listening? Most people that I talk to have never heard about vertical development. I mean, it, quite frankly, it's a pretty new term. It's only been around for about 10 years. But what we need to understand is that there's two different forms of personal development. There's what we call horizontal development, which is adding new knowledge and skills. It's kind of like adding an app onto an iPad. Mm -hmm. That's great because it broadens that iPad's functionality. And I imagine given this audience, we have taken engineering classes that have given us certain knowledge and skills that allows us to perform certain functions on our job. So I think we're all intimately familiar with horizontal development. Here's one of the things that we can think about is just because I know how to perform a certain engineering skill, does that make me any more capable of stepping into and effectively navigating change, pressure, uncertainty, and complexity? Probably not, right? If we want that, then we need to focus on vertical development. So vertical development is elevating our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. The focus here isn't on doing more, it's on being more. And it's not adding an app onto the iPad, it's upgrading our internal operating system. So this new book is all about, okay, what is vertical development? Why is it important to focus on? What are different levels and how do we elevate is kind of this book. But that's the basic idea is there's 
horizontal and there's vertical. And honestly, we need both. We just have a tendency to overemphasize the horizontal and in my opinion, underemphasize the vertical. So if we're thinking about this from perhaps an organizational, like an organization, HR or, or the training function or something is trying to train up engineers and leaders and things, you know, obviously we need to build on perhaps that horizontal development. Hey, we need to make sure that our workforce has certain competencies and skills to perform certain job functions. But a horizontal development, as I'm understanding you talk about this, is I can take a class, I can practice things, and then I can build a technical proficiency, perhaps. And that would be Mm -hmm. an an example of horizontal development, right? But what's different about the mode of learning and developing that vertical development that maybe I can't just get from taking a class and practicing how to do a technical proficiency, what's different about the, the mode of learning and, and developing that in that way? Part of it is, is it's the, a difference in focus, right? Rather than gaining new knowledge and skills, although knowledge and skills can help us to vertically develop. But if we go back to the basic definition of vertical development, which is our ability to make meaning of our world in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways. And so then it says, if we want to improve in our vertical development, we've got to focus on our meaning makers. Mm-hmm. Well, what are our meaning makers? Our meaning makers are our mindsets, the mental lenses that we wear that shape how we view the world. And so when we have constructive criticism, when somebody gets defensive, that suggests that they are making meaning of that in a way that's not very cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. Somebody who's willing to embrace constructive criticism, they're making meaning of it in more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated ways, right? We've got to be in the right mental space where we are good with being told that we are bad. And it's just not easy to get there. It takes cognitive and emotional sophistication. So one of the approaches or one of the ideas is that we've got to focus on our mindsets, And then that dies into some of the neurology that we talked about. We got to exercise certain mindsets. But another thing that we need to think about, and to me, this is really profound. As we saw with that constructive criticism example, oftentimes evidence of us not being super cognitively and emotionally sophisticated is when we get defensive or self-protective. Because those in those times that protects us, and it makes sense to do it in the moment, But oftentimes we don't understand the negative implications that that has on the people around us. So, for example, a leader who micromanages, they micromanage to help them feel more secure. And they have a hard time understanding the impact, the negative impact that that's having on those around them. And so when we understand that self-protection is symbolic or a symbol of lower operating from a lower vertical altitude, then it suggests that we need to actually heal our body because where does this self-protection come from? It comes from a damage of in some way to our body's nervous system, which is oftentimes rooted in some form of past trauma, which can mean a wide variety of things. And to me, this is maybe the most beautiful message that comes out of my book, which is if we want to upgrade our internal operating system, we've actually got to focus on healing ourselves. Maybe those past traumas or experiences or damage have caused us to react in that way because 
they served a purpose for a time, like the, the ways of operating in that served a purpose to protect us in perhaps really difficult, damaging circumstances or experiences that, that people have been through. They can also have a little bit of um, grace or compassion on themselves and some of the things they've been through, uh, rather than increase shame that, hey, I, I haven't developed in the way that I, that I would like to. We can say, hey, we can start with where we're at today and continue to move forward and, and heal through that process. A, a beautiful idea, I think. And so I want to talk more about this, Ryan, this idea of like vertical altitude. And you've also talked about vertical development levels. Can you talk more about that and what these different levels are as we move through this development process? And these ideas aren't my ideas. They actually stem back um, to the 1960s in the field of developmental psychology. And what Developmental psychologists have, have long studied, even back into the 1880s, is child development. So what we've learned is that children, as they go from infancy to adulthood, they go through different developmental stages. And they do so rather automatically. It's essentially a function of their age. And in the 1960s, these develop, or at least some developmental psychologists started to ask the question, well, do adults develop? And if so, do they have developmental stages? And what they've come to find out is that, yes, adults can develop. Yes, there are different adult development stages. But what they've also found is that most adults actually don't develop. They've identified that there's three different adult development stages. And, and when we rise from one stage to the other, that's what I kind of call vertical development. So it probably makes sense to kind of dive into each of those stages. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. I call these stages mine 1.0, mine 2.0, and mine 3.0. And the reason why is because these are each symbolic of an internal operating system that we have. And at each stage, our body's internal operating system is programmed to fulfill different needs. So at that base level, mine 1.0, our internal operating system is programmed to help us to fill the, fulfill the needs of safety, comfort, and belonging. So oftentimes, and I oftentimes classify these people as good soldiers. They kind of, these are the people who step into an organization and they say, I don't want to take charge. I just want you to tell me what to do and I will do it provided you keep me safe, comfortable, and feeling like I belong. And what research has found is that 64% of all adults operate in this level, this 1.0 good soldier level. Um, so whether we're here or not, we've all been here at some point in time. What's that next phase, that, that mine 2.0? And I just want to just kind of bring in the idea of self-protection, because we talked about it a yeah. little bit. Even, okay, sure. even as I say, safety, comfort, belonging, there's a lot of self-protection elements there. Yep. The next stage is called mine 2.0. I oftentimes classify this as progress makers. Because our body's internal operating system now is changed rather dramatically in terms of the needs that we become focused on. At this Mind 2.0 level, our needs are to stand out, advance, and get ahead. We are now willing, our body allows us to do this, we're willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belong in order to advance, uh, stand out, advance, and get ahead. It's a complete transformation of, of our body's internal programming. When we make this shift, we move from what I would call a dependent thinker mm -hmm. to an independent thinker. We now are saying, okay, I'm just not going to follow everything you tell me to do. I'm actually going to come up with my own independent beliefs. May I come up with my own purpose, my own desires that I'm going to want to fulfill. 
And what Mind 2.0 people recognize is that there's a lot of Mind 1.0 people. And if they could harness kind of these Mind 1.0 people and help have them do work on their behalf, then they could have all this Mind 1.0 people help them to stand out, advance, and get ahead. So what we find at this Mind 2.0 level is that 35% of people will get to this Mind 2.0 level and operate there. 85% of executives operate at this Mind 2.0 level. And so this is a lot of leaders. I'm an independent thinker. I've got my own dreams, my own ambitions. I want to stand out, advance, and get ahead. And I'm going to get people to help me do that. And so this is where we see most leaders operate at this Mind 2.0 level. We've grown to an extent we can think independently instead of being dependent, but there's still another level here. So what's that next stage getting to Mind 3.0? And even as we jump into this third level, I've been working with an executive team of, of an engineering firm, and they do a lot of construction. And one of the things that's been interesting is, is we've talked about this is they say, yeah, I used to be in mind 1.0. I was just, I didn't want to take charge. I was just, I'll do what you tell me to. I you know I have a decent amount of horizontal development and I want to employ that. I want to employ my skills and expertise. As they move forward in their career, well, now I gain more experience. And they almost got to the point where it's like, I think I could do this better than other people. And so they move up to this, they eventually get up to this progress maker level and they get into these leadership positions and they're all about accomplishing the outcomes. How do we get these outcomes? How do we get there as quickly as possible? And some of them, if I'm being honest, are they're really hard-nosed about it. It's like almost as if they're cracking the whip on their people because they want to hit these outcomes. And with this executive team that I'm working with, and it's no different than other industries that I work with in their executive teams, is this is where most executives operate is how do we get to our outcomes as quickly as possible? And that's their focus. So as I work with teams, I'm usually helping them to try to move from this mind 2.0 level to mind 3.0. And mind 3.0, again, our body's internal operating system changes its needs. Our needs now are to contribute, add value, and lift others. So at mind 1.0, we're programmed to stand in in the moment. At Mind 2.0, we're programmed to stand out in the moment or at least in the short term. At Mind 3.0, we don't care about standing in or standing out. It's all about how do I help contribute and elevate the group that I'm working on. So it's a shift now, and this is a really significant shift away from ourselves, either standing in or standing out, to something bigger than ourselves. And what research has found is that only 1% of all adults get to this level and uh, only 8% of all executives get to this level. That's a little taste of it, but, uh, and we could go into greater depth if, if we want to or need to. But I don't know, what's your reaction as we walk through these three different levels? It's interesting to think about the, the percentages there and thinking about, okay, if I really want to be a, a word that I use a lot as a transformational leader in the types of ways that I'm building people and in, in the teams and that idea that it's outside of yourself is something bigger than you. But I think that only 1%, on one hand, that's a little bit scary. It's like, okay, I mean, you know, as an individual, can I be part of that 1%? You know, is that possible for me? And how hard is it to really do that if only 1% of people actually get there? 
On the other hand, you know, I think this is probably exciting in, in the world of leadership development. Right now, if only 1% people are doing it, but people are doing that, which means there's so much opportunity to develop leaders and people to become at that new level of being. Even moving people from any of these stages is is an amazing thing for, for yeah. them and the people around them, right? I mean, my goal is that we increase those percentages, right? That's, right, exactly. That's the idea. And I think here's some feedback that I've gotten from leaders as we've been doing this is I ask them what holds us back from getting into that level. And I think one of the reasons, one of the things that holds us back is we're just not aware of this framework. When we're aware, it's like, oh yeah. And I'm going to give us some examples to make this come to life here in just a second. But another thing that holds us back is we don't have a lot of great examples, usually, at least intimately within our world where we see that. But we do see some of these leaders, and I would agree with the word transformational because it's really speaking to these Mind 3.0 leaders. You look at leaders like Satya Nadella at Microsoft, Alan Mulally at Ford, Ed Catmull at Disney Animation, uh, Indra Nui at PepsiCo, Reed Hoffman at Netflix. Like These are some leaders that I've studied that seem to operate at that Mind 3.0 level, and they're transformational. Microsoft is such a great case study because... You can compare Satya Nadella to Steve Ballmer, and both of them have similar horizontal development, but they operate at a very different vertical altitude. You look at Jack Welch, to me as a stereotypical Mind 2.0 leader. I don't think you would ever find a Mind 3.0 leader who writes a book titled Winning. I mean, that's got Mind 2.0 written all over it. And he was, in hindsight, I mean, in the moment, he was doing amazing things. But in hindsight, it's very clear he was making decisions on hitting short-term outcomes. And what that left him with after the, you know, however long he was the, the CEO of GE, left him with a shell of an organization that is now minuscule relative to what it used to be. That's usually the impact that Mind 2.0 leaders have is, They can get outcomes in the short term, but they struggle to produce growth and success in the long term. And that's really where the Mind 3.0 leaders thrive because they have the cognitive and emotional sophistication to do that. We were using another set of words to talk about 1.0, 2.0 in terms of dependent and independent. Would the word for 3.0 be interdependent? I've heard heard that be thrown around at times. Would that be the right word or would, would there be a different word that you would use there? And how would you describe that? To me, that's the exact word. It's interdependent. And and here's what's going on is at that independent level, we come up with our own beliefs and we're usually pretty attached to those. We're holding on to these because we independently came up with them. Like these are kind of our babies. Mind 3.0 people, they learn how to let go of their beliefs. It's not always my way or the highway. They move from one of the shifts from Mind 2.0 to Mind 3.0 is Mind 2.0 people, they like to provide answers. Mind 3.0 people love to ask questions because they're not so beholden to their ideas. And so Mind 3.0 people, they love, and it's unique about them, but they love sitting in complexity. They recognize that you take, to me, my mind always goes politics. You could take, because it's politics are a little polarizing. You take any political topic, let's just say abortion is a hot topic right now. And Mind 3.0 people, they want to sit in the middle of the messiness of that debate because they recognize that there's pros and cons to both sides of the argument and they want to understand those. 
They just don't want people to say, what side should I stand on? They really want to understand these. They want to talk to people on both sides and sit in that messiness at least before they take a stand. And rarely will those mind 3.0 people take a polarized stand Mm. because they're more willing to embrace the complexity of the issue. Hopefully that's a decent explanation of an interdependent thinker. So let's bring this in and try and apply this to the audience here. So we've got people who may or may not be formal leaders in their organizations, or maybe they're aspiring leaders, or maybe they just want to do the best where they're at right now. How important is it for people to work on vertical development, whether or not they are a leader? If I'm engineering an organization, I don't lead anybody. Can I still develop vertically? Can I still become independent or interdependent, get to mine 2.0, 3.0, and still improve my impact? And how will that affect perhaps my career opportunities or success or, or impact in different things, right? Do you know what's really interesting to me? And, you know, because I'm, I'm working with business leaders, executives, and one of the pieces of feedback that I get after I, if I work with them for a little bit and I come back and I'll ask them, like, how has this impacted you now that you understand this? And their first answer is always, this has changed my life with my family. I love that answer because I don't know if there's any more important relationships that we have than our family. But I also think our family kind of with this, they become our test kitchen. I've got a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. Every day, my kids are pushing me in terms of my cognitive and emotional sophistication, my window of tolerance. And it is every day I am given the opportunity to kind of flex and stretch my vertical development muscles. What I'm finding is that's pretty natural is for people to first apply it within their families and test it out. It's a little bit of a safer space to do that than the employment context. That's a win in of itself, whether or not they affect the business, but they're naturally going to get there. But that's oftentimes the starting place. We're changing who we are and who we're becoming. And that affects every single relationship and interaction as leaders, certainly in organizations and business, in our communities and people that we live with and in our families, our immediate family, and, and those also in our circle and our close friends, because we're changing us, right? A, a beautiful thing. Well, let me, as you're have. saying that, let me throw out some characteristics, characteristics of vertically developed people. So there's things like that we could be trained on such as how to do some mathematical equation to solve this, how much load bearing can we put on this particular trust or whatever it might be, right? We can sure. get that. That's, that's the horizontal development. But there's characteristics that are more vertical development in nature. Let me throw out some of these characteristics. These characteristics are things like patience, humility, intellectual humility, psychological flexibility, emotional intelligence, vulnerability, empathy, like those are not things that we will ever get from horizontal development. Those only come about through vertical development. And so to your point is, if we want those traits, which I think we all do, because we know that it's reflective of us being a just simply a better person. And if we want those traits, it's got to come through vertical development. So as we end off this main portion of the episode, Ryan, like what tips or or ideas could you share with our listeners to say, how do I figure out where I'm at now and how do I start to elevate my leadership or my way of being with those around me? 
the answer is always, the starting place is always awareness. So we just got to become aware. In fact, what I've learned is that the deeper we go inward, the higher we can go in terms of our vertical altitude. And so one of the things that I try to do is create tools and frameworks that help facilitate that awareness. I mean, just us talking about what is vertical development, what are the different vertical development levels, that in and of itself just allows us to introspect on something we probably never had the ability to do so before. So that's a great starting place. I've also got books that can help with the process. Um, I've got assessments. I've got a mindset assessment and a vertical development assessment that people could take to try to provide some objective feedback to their vertical altitude or the quality of their mindsets. Again, once we awaken to it, then we can see where we're at, where we need to go. And then we could say, how do I get there? The first step is always awareness. Well, Ryan, this has been such a fun conversation so far. At this point, we're going to transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show, where we'll get one final piece of actionable advice from Ryan before we end the show. We'll be right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Ryan, we've had a fun conversation talking about mindsets and vertical development and leadership and and how we move through really changing and transforming ourselves in different ways. What would be the final thing that you would share with our listeners? What action can they take today or this week to start on this path of trying to become a vertically developed leader in, in person? Well, as we just talked about, is it's all about awareness. That's where it starts. And I think if you could take action today is uh, take my mindset assessment. Uh, it's on my website at ryangodfordson.com. It's 20 questions. It'll only take you about five minutes, but you'll get a comprehensive report of the quality of your mindsets across four different sets of mindsets. And you'll be able to identify what mindsets do I have that maybe are less cognitively and emotionally sophisticated And what mindsets are more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated? And just to kind of give you a heads up is I've had 30,000 people take my mindset assessment and only 2.5% are in the top quartile for all four sets of mindsets. And so if you get some results that you don't love, welcome to the club. I'm the leader of this club who has some mindsets that I'm still working on. But what we're doing is we're creating awareness so that we can elevate so that we can become more of the person that we want to become. And we're now focusing on the most foundational aspect about ourselves. So that's something that's quick, easy, but will provide a huge amount of value. And a great example there, by the way, of some humility, like, hey, you work and and research on these mindsets and you teach them all the time, but it doesn't mean that you are perfect in every way in doing that. But what it is, is an opportunity to be engulfed in that process with other people, which then in turn helps us as as we work in in this area as well. So we're always continually in this process of improvement and growth. So thanks so much, Ryan, for a great conversation. Any other resources or places you would point people to go learn more about you and and your book and and other things you're doing these days? My website, ryangoffertson.com, you'll find access to the books, the assessments, and I would love to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. That's where I'm the most active on social media. Ryan, thanks so much and hope everything goes well and and look forward to staying connected. Love talking with you. Thanks for the opportunity, Jeff. I really hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to www 
engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we mentioned. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars also at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for any engineers who are struggling and need help taking the next career step, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at Engineering Management Institute dot org.